that is very cool music. Uh, I'm Cheryl yeah. Head. Isn't that cool? <laughs> that was very cool. I love that. Uh, I write the Charlie Mack Motown Mystery Series, and I am really happy to be in conversation today with Wanda Morris, who has this fabulous new debut book that just came out this month. Yeah, it came out on the second. On the second, so it's a brand new baby. It's so and it's just a wonderful read. I, I love the book. It's really rich in its complexity around issues and themes, and we're going to talk about as many as we can uh, today, mm -hmm. Wanda, in our 15 to 20 minutes. But I have a first question for you, and it is asked with admiration and a bit of facetiousness. Mm -hmm. What's it like to be an overnight success? <laughs> 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 All right, so you came loaded for me. Right? <laughs> Uh, yes, um, my my overnight success that only took 13 years. Um, <laughs> it feels amazing in all seriousness. Um, this has been an incredible journey, uh, of course, paved with lots of tears mm -hmm. and a ton of rejection. But to get to this point has been, man, I, I don't have words to articulate it. It, it really is. Uh, it has been a great great launch. And uh, people have responded so, so positively to the book. Oh, it's an amazing, amazing debut launch. And, um, you know, you, you, all the work you put in and all the years really pays off because you've got a great, great start to your, your fiction writing career. So I'm going to jump right into it. Um, so, you know, what I'm most blown away by this book is the authenticity, authenticity and, um, um, deep knowledge you have of Black culture and Black life. And it's really apparent, apparent in both your timelines, because this is a dual narrative, mm -hmm. but your settings in Atlanta and also in G rural Georgia are just so rich and vibrant and descriptive. I really love them. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, while I was not born here in Georgia, I have lived here for decades now. Um, I moved here after school and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I met my husband here. He's a native of Georgia and, um, you know, raising my kids here. So I have some very deep ties. All my in-laws like are right around the corner and such. So I have very deep ties and I have always found um, Atlanta in particular. Um, it's fascinating. It's an enigma because you will have, you know, Confederate statues posted right down the street from, you know, Ebenezer Baptist Church where Dr. King preached or, you know, Stone Mountain, where there is a carving of Confederate soldiers, which, you know, sits right down the road from, you know, John Lewis Parkway. So you have, um, you know, these two, um, I, I would say these two um, hallmarks of kind of what America has been in our history mm -hmm. with, um, with, Blacks and um, African Americans, and it sits right next to, you know, side by side, and it's just an interesting kind of combination. So, I felt compelled to bring that into the story, if you will. Yeah, yeah. There's lots so, of yes, dichotomy. I tried to do that a lot with the Atlanta scene. Yeah, I, there's a lots of dichotomy in the story now that now that you mention it. But mm -hmm. in the rural setting, 
Chillicothe, Georgia. Is that an actual city? No, it is a fictional city. I could not find it on the map. I'm going, she made that up. <laughs> it is a it is a fictional city, but um it is based um very loosely on a small town that I'm familiar with here. Right. I won't name it because not everybody. I, I don't want to seem to be disparaging the city, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's one of those small towns that, you know, they kind of stayed unto themselves. And, you know, at a certain point, you know, whites were where they were and, you know, blacks just left them to it and they stayed where they were. And that was kind of how um, the town ran. So um, it's a fictional city, but I don't think it's unlike a lot of small it's southern not. rural towns. It rang so true for all I know about the rural south. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and set in the, the late 70s. It was really well done. The language was really good. The characters and the depictions of the countryside and the issues that they deal with in that, that small community felt so real to me. It really did. Um, so let's move to your protagonist, Elise Ellie Littlejohn. She is quite a flawed character, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> you picked up on that, huh? Yeah. Tell, me, tell me what you know about her. But you know what? For all her flaws, she really is a very strong and dynamic woman. But, you know, Cheryl, I got to be honest with you. She is an amalgam of a lot of women that I know, you know, beautiful, smart, talented, and deeply flawed. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, you know, her, her flaws and things go pretty dark. Um, you know, I I tried to base her on a lot of women that I knew, you know, women that put on this facade of, you know, expensive clothes and surrounded themselves with, you know, all the accoutrements of success. Right. But inside they were still struggling with whatever it was in their background that still stayed. And while um if I can just digress for a minute, speaking of flawed characters, one of the things that I do try and tell people is that um, I don't think that the Black community taps into mental health as mm -hmm. much as we should. Mm -hmm. And so when you are struggling with some deep trauma, get the help that you need. Because what I tried to show is that you had this very beautiful, smart woman who dealt with all this trauma, but it was not resolved. Mm -hmm. She had not mm -hmm. really dealt with it um, on a much deeper level. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you see, you know, kind of what you see in the story. Mm -hmm. um, but justifiably so. Absolutely. Um, you're, yeah. gonna, you're mentioning that it's going to make me jump ahead in my questions. So it's not going to be linear, but <laughs> sorry. No, no, you make such a good point. Um, you have such great humor in the book and really these wise observations. Uh, but you deal with many serious themes and, and world problems and issues, uh, just to name a few, uh, diversity hiring, corporate uh, misdeeds, family dysfunction, the toll of systemic racism on, on Black folks. Um, as a Black female author who's also an attorney and a wife and a mother and who has broad life experience, do you think you could write a novel without that kind of intersectionality of ideas and issues? 
I could not. Here's the thing, Cheryl. Um, someone asked me recently, you know, you have a lot of really tough themes in the book. Did you, you know, intentionally set out that you were going to cover, you know, this theme, this theme, and this theme? And I said, no. What I did is I set out to write a book about one Black female's experience in corporate America. Mm-hmm. It entails all those issues. Being Black and female in this country is tough. It is tough. And it's tough whether you are in a corporate setting or you're in a service industry or what have you. Um, And so what I did is I set out to write this woman's story, but her story encompasses so much more than just being a lawyer. It's going into a store. It is- I love that thing. Exactly. Having a brother who is caught up in the system. It, it's all of those things. And so that's how the intersectionality comes in. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, an outgrowth of being black and female. Mm-hmm. And I think you do it so well. You weave it together so well. And sometimes you just glance at one of those issues or themes, but it's there. And as a black woman reading it, I thought, wow, she gets it. Wow, she gets it. Wow, she gets it. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept thinking that all the way through. Um you have some very interesting secondary and tertiary characters in addition to Elise. Who was your favorite one to write? Oh, gosh. It's like asking, Cheryl, that's like asking me who's my favorite child. I mean, I I loved, I loved a lot of the characters, um, even some of the bad ones. Okay. But I guess if I I were forced. I'd have to say Vera. Interesting. Yes. Um, see that. Yeah, Vera is an amalgam of like my mom and my grandma and my aunts and this woman who used to live next door to us, Miss <laughs> Tony, who would discipline you if you, you were misbehaving despite right. the fact that you were not her child That's or right. blood relation. But you know, I I wanted to put in um, this character. Um, who wasn't just like a mentor to Elise, but she was like a guiding figure to her. Um, Because when you read the book, you discover that, you know, much of Elise's success comes as a result of this woman, you know, who is like her guardian angel, so to speak. And so um, I really like her. I, I really like Juice. And I like Juice too. Yeah. yeah. Interesting story about Juice. Juice was supposed to be just like a, a secondary character who would like disappear after, you know, one scene. Like I had envisioned him as just like coming around with Elise's brother. Yeah. They'd have some brief conversation. That would yeah. be it. And I started to write him and I was like, oh my gosh, I like him. I like him a lot. So I got to find some way. And he also gave me the opportunity to play with assumptions Hmm. Um, because while Elise is walking through these predominantly white spaces where people make assumptions about her, um, she made assumptions about juice and he called her on it and he called her on it. And I thought, yeah, I could do a lot with him because so many times we do, we, 
you know, we're kind of into our own thing and you make assumptions about somebody without knowing anything about them. And I like the fact that he called on her. It's so funny because I get a lot of people who tell me, oh gosh, I love Juice. Like I have a crush on Juice. (laughs) Seems like a nice young man. He really does. You know, but there were so many characters in your book who were intriguing to me. Um, Willow, the HR director, girl, um, uh, <laughs> Rudy, her, her co-worker, even, even Anita, the secretary. I mean, so there were, you know, I remember them and their, their quirkiness, but they're also their, their caring and their empathy. You know, you really build three-dimensional characters so well. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, nearly every woman in the story really is on a journey of her own. When you look at, you know, people like Willow, because Willow is also trying to navigate this space. I didn't Um, know if I wanted to hate her and then she would do something okay. And then I would go, okay. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And you've got Grace, who is in this marriage where you see her trying to find her own, you know, kind of way in it. And so all the women are kind of, even Martha, who is Elise's mother. Right. Um, yeah. Sad that it is, but yeah, very, very complicated. Yes, yes, yes. And that's when I think about how you interweave the notions of systemic racism and how it affects people exactly. and Black people in, in general and how can they not have some of, some of this dysfunction. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. That's exactly what I was going for. Yeah. So the so the dual narrative thing is interesting. So I'm writing a book that'll be out in 2023 has the dual narrative. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you like what writing one narrative more than the other? Mm. I can't say that I liked one more than the other. What I was trying to do with the dual narratives um, was one to open up Elise's backstory, of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, but I also used it as a literary device so that you kind of had this pound pound pace of the story. And I wanted to give the readers a break, kind of a breather. Uh-huh. Um, and so I kind of slowed things down because in those interstitial pages with the dual timeline, you find that things are a little slower now. You know, that timeline also has a mystery encompassed within it as well. Um, So you're still kind of in figuring out the puzzle. But nonetheless, I kind of wanted to um, give readers a sense of the emotion of the story. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. why are we seeing a woman who acts and behaves the way she behaves? And so in order to do that, I had to open up that that Mm -hmm. timeline Mm -hmm. and show that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted to pick a period in time where she shows this real strength, like what, you know, the, the, the things that she does and the things that she goes through, I think she was always a hero. Like in my eyes, Elise was a hero at 14. It wasn't Mm -hmm. that she was just a hero in the present day timeline. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So as, as in my writing, I find writing crime fiction that I have trouble with the balance between beautiful plotting and beautiful prose. I think you do it so well. Are you, Mm -hmm. are you conscious of that when you're writing? Um, I don't know. I, um, I I like to play with words. I like yeah. 
the sound of sentences, if that makes any sense. Yes, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so um, and, and the, the dual timelines gave me an opportunity to do that. So when I was kind of slowing the writing down, I could play with the sentences and make things sound kind of lyrical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also like the fast pace of the story. And so I was also trying to make sure, too, that those sentences kind of reverberated. But I tend to write like the way I want people to feel like when I was writing some of the scenes towards the end and the climax, yeah. like I was frenetically <laughs> writing. <laughs> oh my God, I got to get that. Your heart was beating too. <laughs> right. My heart was beating too because it's like, oh crap. <laughs> how is she going to get out of this? <laughs> That's excellent. Speaking of how is she going to get out of this, are you a pantser or a plotter? I am a plotter. Okay. I tend to be. So you knew how she was going to get out of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm a plotter, but I don't know how the end will come out. Oh, so, like, okay. even mm-hmm. with the book that I just finished up, my second book. Yeah. I didn't know how it was going to end. So I plot out probably, and when I say plot, it's not like a Jeffrey Deaver 250 page plot. <laughs> We're talking like, you know, four or five pages where I jot down a few bullet points okay. on the major scenes. Okay. Um, but I never know how the book is going to end. And um, you might find this interesting. You know, we share an agent. Yeah, shout out to Lori. Yay. Yes. Yay. I adore Lori. Well, when she signed me on, she she told me, she's like, oh, I love this book. I just love this book. But I think you need to change the back half. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Right? Lori is like a therapist I have found. (laughs) She she really is. She really is. But she has such a keen eye for me. A good eye. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And she was right. So I kind of stood back and I was like, what? But when I looked at it, I was like, yeah, she's right. She's like, I think you need something fresher. So the ending that I had originally, she was right. It wasn't fresh. It had been done before. It had been seen before. Okay. And so I didn't know how I was going to end this book. So yeah, I was writing like, like along with everything that was going on in the story. I was like, boom, 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 boom. I wonder how this is going to end. <laughs> how is she going to get out of this? Where's she going, girl? Where are you going? <laughs> and that makes it fun, too. I see, I think, I'm looking at our time, so I'm, I have this last question I really want to ask you. Um, um, it's about the secrets. You know, All Her Little Secrets is the title of this thing. And I want to talk about what your observations might be about the agency of secrets and the, and the power that comes when you release them. Mm. Yeah. What were you after there? Cause I'm, I'm th- thinking about the secrets of omission, not necessarily mm. a lie or something hidden, but you omit the truth, you know, like mm-hmm. the, this whole critical race theory brouhaha, you know, yes. you're admitting the truth about our history. What, what is the result of that? What is, you know, what, what kind of agency, do those kinds of secrets hold? You know, that is a really interesting question. And I love how you relate it to critical race theory. I had never thought about that until till you said that. But for me, when I went into this book, um, I think that there is something that is very intimate about a secret, particularly one that 
you share with someone that you probably shouldn't be holding a secret with. And it's not, it's not a spoiler to say this, but you know, Elise was having an affair with her boss. Mm-hmm. And that's like, like I said, it's not a spoiler. It's on page two, but um, the fact that you have, you know, something that you're sharing that, you know, is, perhaps a little salacious, mm-hmm. I think is very intriguing. And the things that you're not revealing. I mean, she's exactly. really, she's really hiding in plain sight around a lot of things. Exactly. Or even, you know, how she hides some of the other secrets that she has Absolutely. in her life from, from people that purportedly she's very close to. I think that it kind of gave her a bit of power, if that even makes sense, hmm. that she felt like I'm in control. This is something I'm in control love mm-hmm. because she grew up in this background where things were not in control mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um there were things going on around her and this horror going on around her where she felt like she didn't have control and so in a way the secrets and her revealing whatever she wanted to reveal of herself mm-hmm. was her way of saying i have this control i have some power Mm-hmm. I have some power. Yeah, yeah. So we're winding down. Uh, this is going <clears> to <throat> fabulous talking to you about that. We have to go to about your kind drink and talk about this for hours, okay? Yes. Right. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. I want to ask you where people can find you. What's your social media handles? Absolutely. So my website is wandamorriswrites.com. And I'm on all the social. I'm on Facebook, uh, Wanda Morris Writer. I'm on Twitter, WandaMo14, and I'm on Instagram, uh, WandaMo writes. So, yeah, you can find me. The Mo is a nod to my father. It was his nickname. Yeah. So nice to have a chance to talk to you, Wanda, this afternoon uh, and live. Um, Thank you for joining us and uh, getting a, a little peek into this fabulous book. I highly recommend it. You'll enjoy the read. I was reading it in fits and starts for a few days. And then, you know, I put it down and then the characters were going like, hello, hello, come back. <laughs> and I wanted to come back. It's It really is a non-put-downable book. Thank Juan you. Morris, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.